0: Neil Bott has passed the Turing test.
1: Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is November 10th, 2020. I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil.
0: Hey, Sarah, how's it
1: going? <laughs> it's going well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was really, I don't know what was going on there. Hey, Sarah, how's it going?
1: <laughs> um, It's going much better now, actually. That was fantastic.
0: <laughs> I've been uh, replaced by Neil Bot.
1: Neil Bot, <laughs> yes.
2: Hello, Sarah. How are you?
0: <laughs> you guys won't really be able to tell much of a difference aside from just then.
1: <laughs> Neil Bot um just like spews out facts and um stats and it's great.
0: Neil bot has passed the Turing test.
1: <laughs> wow. Uh and from Los Angeles is five thirty eight contributor Jeff Foster. Hi Jeff.
2: Hello. How are what you?
1: Would, what would Jeff Bot be?
2: I don't know. Gambling Gambling service, just make terrible
0: predictions. (laughs) A bad gambling service. Oh, sad.
1: That's terrible. Hey, but the masters are this week. And so, you know, you can put those bad predictions to work.
2: Sure. I feel better making golf predictions because, you know, it's golf. Even the favorite has like a less than 10% chance of winning. So,
1: right. Yeah. And so you don't bet on golf, right?
2: Who said that? Who said I didn't bet on golf? Oh,
1: whoops. <laughs> Never mind.
2: No, I mean I'm in more of a pool-based format rather than, you know, just putting money on someone to finish top 10 or something like that. No, I don't really do that. I mean, if I lived in uh, Vegas, maybe I would do that, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> If my gambling problem could be worse, then maybe it would. Yeah,
2: you know, if I lived in Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, so, okay, the ma- so the masters start on Thursday. Does Tiger have much of a chance, do you think?
2: Uh, No.
0: No, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think
2: he has much of a chance. Why?
0: I, I, I was look. told he would be a content. Actually, no one told me that. It was implied by the commercials <laughs> I saw that had a lot of Tiger in them. That's right. If he's going to win a major in
2: his current form, I guess it would be this one. Because this is like the one... You know, this is the major where, like, if you're good at Augusta, people who are good at Augusta tend to always be good at Augusta. That's why, like, we always see, like, Freddie Couples and Bernard Langer, like, making the cut, <laughs> despite being not active golfers, at least on the, you know, non-champions tour. Um So, yeah, why not? Like, he maybe he'll get it together, but he's not putting well, he's not driving well, and the field is quite daunting i i don't see them you know just cowering to him so uh yeah probably not a good chance this week
0: although jeff is it true maybe i maybe the pandemic has distorted my memory but tiger is still the defending champion right yeah right yeah
2: it's insane the other thing which is pretty reliable with tiger is he is not good when it's cold and i I don't know what the temperatures are going to be there but they're not going to be the way they normally are at the masters
1: i think it's actually supposed to be pretty warm there although possibly rainy
2: yeah well any bad weather is is usually not good for him but no um,
0: dogwoods no azaleas in bloom
2: it's got to be a little chilly out there in the morning i mean they're also doing it they're playing early because and they're splitting up the uh you know, because they're worried about the sun.
1: Right. Yeah. They don't you usually know. have to work with, uh, you know, yeah, with less daylight.
2: I don't know. I, I don't see it happening. But I, I also, you know, would love it to happen because yeah. anytime he's involved, it's, it's always super fun.
1: Okay, (laughs) on today's show, we'll take a closer look at the current NFL frontrunners, what they have going for them about midway through the season, and what might be holding them back. Then we'll turn our attention to college football. We're a couple weeks from the first college football playoff ranking, so we'll talk about what we think the playoffs will look like and why Clemson will probably be in the top four anyway, despite that loss to Notre Dame. So, since we're heading into week 10 in the NFL, we wanted to do something a little different. We're going to go through one by one the top five teams in the 538 model. They are the Kansas City Chiefs, Pittsburgh Steelers, New Orleans Saints, Baltimore Ravens, and Green Bay Packers. What's the case for each of these teams to go all the way to the Super Bowl? And which takes about their chances might be misguided. We'll start with the Chiefs, who beat the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Patrick Mahomes broke Dan Marino's record as the fastest quarterback to reach 100 touchdown passes. No big deal. Ryan Clark on ESPN's first take talked about Patrick Mahomes fatigue setting in that the chiefs are so good. We're bored of them.
3: And we're the same way with Patrick Mahomes. We have Patrick Mahomes fatigue, but it took us two years. It didn't take us a career. It didn't take us a decade. It took us two years to get Patrick Mahomes fatigue. It took us two years to start rooting for the other great stories in football. Man, let's right. move for Russ. We want Russ to do it, and Russ is balling. But we wanted Russ to do it because we wanted to see something different. We felt like he deserved his time. Even though Patrick Mahomes only did it for two years. Last year, Lamar Jackson, we were like, ooh, Patrick Mahomes is hurt. We have never seen anybody play the quarterback position like this. Ooh, we got it, we love Lamar, and Lamar deserved it. But Josh Allen early on this year, or even Tom Brady when he starts creeping in. And now Aaron Rodgers is somebody we focus on again because he had a dip right? He had a dip and now he has a story. Y'all drafted his successor. Y'all didn't get him weapons on the outside. And so now we look at the things that Aaron Rodgers does through a different prism. But Patrick Mahomes doesn't have that. He's still in the same place with all these great weapons and this great coach. And we do take it from granted.
1: Should we be talking more about the Chiefs? Neil, have they reached a level of good where they're just not interesting to discuss?
0: I don't think any team that has Patrick Mahomes is not interesting. Um, I think especially if we're talking about teams that I want to watch. I mean, the Chiefs are probably... Still number one on that list. Uh, and and maybe for the majority of fans. Um, I think there's a little bit of something to the idea that maybe we're just taking Mahomes for granted at this point, because that happens to everyone. Uh, and he mentioned Aaron Rodgers. I mean, we sort of took him for granted uh for a while, like the types of throws that he would make. Every so often he would give us one of those Hail Marys to Beat a team in the last second of the game. We'd be like, "Oh yeah, Aaron Rodgers is like one of the only people on the planet that can do this." Well, Mahomes joined him once he um, he, he got to the NFL as as one of the few players that can make that type of throw. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know that I'm buying that we're like totally like not paying attention to the Chiefs. Um, and and maybe there is the narrative that they've regressed a little bit. And statistically, that's not really true either in terms of they have the same ranking and expected points added this season as last season. Uh, I believe same ranking in terms of the simple rating system, which is adjusted schedule, adjusted point differential uh, as they did last season. Now I should say they were second behind the Baltimore Ravens in both of those um, uh, who we'll talk about in a second, but I don't think that we're necessarily uh, sleeping on them in terms of contenders. It's sort of like a, no, they're assumed to be, there at the end, and we're just sort of playing out the string. And uh, unless something changes, uh, we haven't reassessed them for that.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like there's this, I mean, when you cover sports, teams that are supposed to be good and are good, it's not that they're not interesting. It's that like they did the thing that they were supposed to do. And so what do you say about them aside from They did the thing. We do love novelty.
0: I mean, we love us some novelty and we love teams that are kind of coming out of nowhere or like great, you know, stories, like new stories, like the Chiefs win mahomes. His first year as a starter, and we were seeing him do those no look throws and all the you know crazy stuff that he was doing, which for the record, he's better now than he was then. Uh, but it was such a revelation that I think, yeah, the shiny object gets more attention, and the Chiefs are just sort of a and Mahomes is a perma shiny object. We're not, it's it's sort of been shiny, we're we're blinded to it, maybe. I don't know.
2: It's also the system, though. I mean, they're a machine right now, and It just seems like every time they get the ball, they're going to march down with ease and score a touchdown. It it was sort of like the, that ridiculous game a few weeks ago where the, I think it was Anthony Lynn and the chargers gave the ball back to them. Like, (laughs) why are you giving the ball back to them? That's not going to go well. I mean, it's just, and I think Andy Reid's play calling and some of this play design with Tyree kill with Travis Kelsey, with all these other weapons on the outside it's consistent and i think that's essentially you know consistency at a certain point gets boring
0: and i think there's nothing about the type of team like if they were uh i mean they're not a bad defensive team but they're certainly the best offensive team uh in, in that balance between offense and defense if it were the other way around and it was just sort of like a grinded out dominating defensive team that had like a pretty good offense but maybe not the the best in the league i think we would maybe it would be easier to get bored with a team like that, right? Because it's just less, and I think it's inherently less exciting to see a great defensive team. Maybe I'm offending all of those fans of grinded out defensive struggles out there. But I think I speak for most fans when it's like, it's more fun to watch a great offensive team work.
2: But Josh Hermsmeyer, um, our Josh Hermsmeyer, you know, this is one of his biggest points is that defense is not, sticky i mean you don't see defensive dynasty like the 85 bears lasted a year you know you don't see dominant defenses return year after year whereas on offense if you have all these pieces in place and this play calling it it can last so uh, but generally i do agree yeah they're not the uh 90s new jersey devils who are just yeah. smothering teams and boring the league um and winning
1: they also don't play hockey. They also
2: don't uh, play hockey, and I'm not <laughs> sure why I'm bringing up the, uh, the New Jersey
0: Devils. <laughs> we why met our not? quota for the for the episode,
1: All right? But wow. I also think there's, I you mean, know within a t- within a season, the middle of the season is sort of the who is, who are the underdogs um, or who hasn't performed up to what we want from them yet, and those are going to be the stories in the middle of the season more than. Here is a player who is consistently great. Um, all right, so let's move on to the Steelers, which is this other kind of weird, this this actually kind of weird team that we are talking about more than we're talking about the Chiefs. They're ranked second in our NFL predictions. They are also the only undefeated team left in the league after a semi-close call with the Cowboys, which was amazing. God bless.
0: Um, yeah. God bless. <laughs> Saving
1: Neil's pick was very annoying. But as five thirty-eight contributor Michael Selfino put it in our week nine Slack chat... The question is whether we believe in the Steelers. This is the first Pittsburgh team to go 8-0. And the other years when they were unbeaten, they went to the Super Bowl. Mike did note that that's only happened twice. It's not like a, you know, every year kind of thing. But I don't believe in Ben Roethlisberger anymore. Even against the horrible Cowboys, his efficiency was meh. I think that's a technical term. And Pittsburgh had one touchdown going into the fourth quarter. Jeff, what do the Steelers need to do to silence Mike and the other doubters?
2: I actually agree with Mike here. Um, I, I don't think this offense is very good. I think the Steelers... I, I, I was not that shocked by that being a close game. I, I was not that shocked that that was a close game. Because just look at the situation. Coming off that you know huge win against Baltimore. It's like a classic letdown spot. I think it was their what third game on the road in a row... And then you have, like, a Cowboy team that obviously has nothing to lose and is, like, backed into a corner. Like, they're going to, like, give it everything. In, in a still theoretically winnable division. So I wasn't so surprised that we were going to see sort of the best version of the Cowboys, maybe, and probably the worst version of the Steelers. But I do think there is something with this offense. You know, you're we kind of think of the Steelers as this, like, Roethlisberger throwing bombs to Juju. Uh, Smith Schuster and when when Antonio Brown was there and stretching the field this vertical offense it's not it's the dink and dunk and Roethlisberger does not look amazing at all I mean he's definitely I think showing his age
0: yeah I agree with that Jeff Um and I even looked at so since 1960 there have been 32 teams that started a season 8-0 And of those 32 teams, I ranked them by point differential in those games. Obviously they all have outscored opponents by at least a touchdown uh, per game over that. You kind of can't go eight, and no without racking up a nice point differential. The best ever, through uh, eight games for an undefeated team was the 2007 Patriots. They beat teams by 25.5 points per game in the first eight games of that season. Uh, but the Steelers out of those 32 teams uh, in 2020 ranked 29th out of 32. They're only beating teams by 9.3 points per game. Again, beating teams by 9.3 points per game is pretty good at midseason, uh, but only three teams, the 2015 Carolina Panthers, uh, who I think went 15 and 1, uh, the 1990 San Francisco 49ers, which is an odd—you wouldn't think of them on that list—and the 2006 Indianapolis Colts; those are the only teams that outscored opponents by fewer points per game while starting a season 8-0 than the 2020 Steelers have. So probably they've been kind of lucky if you look at their point differential and try to figure out what their record should be based on that. Uh, they, they are not the best team by point differential, not the best team by SRS, simple rating system, not the best team by expected points added so far this season, despite the being the only undefeated team.
1: Okay, so let's move on to another team. So the big game of the weekend was the absolute dismantling of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by the New Orleans Saints. One of us picked that Bucs team in that game, which is even hard to even imagine right now. Um, But yeah, one of us did that, made that pick, huh?
2: Rock bottom. (laughs) I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. I was (laughs) thinking about calling in sick to the show <laughs> and then oh, i realized no. i need to own up to it i also offered to take a negative point <laughs>
0: you did <laughs> which we should mandate that yes if you have a particularly egregious pick
2: <laughs> i mean what was if your that? pick
0: loses by, by uh three touchdowns or more you lose I mean, a point at
2: one point i felt like i was watching like tuesday night Action between like akron and uh, i don't know Buffalo, just you know, one team just destroying the other in an empty stadium on a weekday night. It was
1: oh, it was bad. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. Um, I mean, a lot of the reaction to the game has been about how bad a night it was for Tom Brady, and it was not good for Tom Brady. But Neil, what does it say about the Saints? Do we believe in them any more than we believe in the Steelers?
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say I believe in the Saints at least as much as the Steelers. And I think it said more like you're right, that people were kind of using it to dump on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, which I'm here for, I mean, but fun, at the yeah. same time, yeah, it's fun. But uh, if you look at expected points above average uh, in that game, the saints were, were good more than the Bucs were bad, if that makes sense. The Bucks had a negative 31.5 total expected points relative to average in that game. But the Saints were a plus 40.4. So uh, in in that sense, and that's based on like how we would expect both of the teams to play in all the phases of the game relative to how they've played uh, in, in the rest of their games, not just this season, but also using last season uh, in, in the mix as well. And so the Saints, I mean, their defense was great in that game, the Bucks had been like a, you know, relatively high rated offense and the Bucks also had a really high rated defense and the Saints still uh, dropped 38 points. Uh, Obviously some of that was the defense helping uh, them, them score some of those points, but I think it was an impressive all around game for the Saints. And maybe we aren't necessarily giving the Saints enough credit. I, I don't think we've really been as high as maybe we should have been on the Saints all season until now. It does feel like this was sort of like a, oh, hey, this team is still good kind of thing. And there was the narrative around Drew Brees, you know, not being able to really throw like he used to, which I think is an interesting comparison with Roethlisberger too, because we know that he's coming off the injury, doesn't seem to necessarily have the same fastball uh, that, that he did earlier uh in his career i think it's similar to to breeze but breeze just has so many guys to throw to especially with michael thomas back uh and just has like a pitch perfect understanding of that offense and and kind of where to to move the ball around to so uh, yeah i think that uh if if people were not paying attention to the saints until now they are paying attention now i think after that game uh and and as well they should have
1: I will say, like, I think we can be forgiven for not, like, seeing the Saints as one of the top-tier teams right away. They lost to the Raiders. They lost to the Packers. They needed overtime to beat the Chargers and the Bears. They barely beat the Panthers. So it's really – they've only really looked fantastic against – tampa so all right let's talk about the ravens who are number four in our model they got their 10th straight road win they also broke a streak of 20 consecutive losses when trailing at halftime which uh was a good job um they came back against the colts they were also shorthanded because several players needed to be quarantined because of quarterback marlon humphrey's covid diagnosis does this show that the ravens have another gear Jeff, or is Lamar Jackson still kind of the quarterback who really beats bad teams and maybe comes up short against good teams?
2: I I still think that's true to a certain extent. I still think, you know, what was exposed against Tennessee in the playoffs might be true. It's not the passing attack that we saw last year. I mean, that was the really interesting thing last year that the way Lamar was able to mix in that passing threat. Um, you know, going to Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown and we haven't really seen that this year. Um, but we still, you know, that in combination with his ability to run and the the running the running game in general was just scary. And it's not quite there, but the defense is still great. I think losing um losing their tackle, Ronnie Staley, in the Pittsburgh game can't get understated. That was huge. Um, he's obviously, like, the key piece of their offensive line, and, and they don't have him, so that, that'll that not help the offense at all, but I, I think the win Sunday was impressive, because that's a good Colts team, and, and to do that on the heels of that really bad loss, Pittsburgh, I mean, they're obviously can't be written off at all um, on the defense alone.
1: Well, finally, let's check in with the Packers. Um, we would normally be talking about Aaron Rodgers, of course, but as noted by ESPN's Stats and Information Group, Devontae Adams is the first player since Randy Moss in 2007 to have at least 600 yards and eight touchdowns in his first six games of a season. That's pretty amazing. So is is the like the lack of offensive weapons narrative for Rogers, maybe a little bit overblown, Neil, how, how should we be thinking about what Green Bay is capable of?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I love to see Devonte Adams kind of, I mean, he had already been known as one of the better receivers in the league, but this is, you know, what, what, uh, like another level for him, even by his standards, he's, I think, leading the league with 112.5 receiving yards per game. Anytime you're above 110 receiving yards per game, you're doing a pretty good job. Uh, and and maybe that uh, accounts for a little bit of that chatter that we had heard at the beginning of the season about like, oh, Rodgers doesn't have enough weapons. Well, if Devonte Adams is going to play like one of the best receivers in the league, That kind of changes that a little bit. And, of course, Aaron Jones is having another good season in terms of just being this kind of all-around rushing, passing kind of weapon that they have. And that's why, uh, if you look at their numbers on paper so far, they have the best offense in football – by expected points, second best passing attack, seventh best running attack. Really for them, the defense uh, is the area where they've been worse, which I think is also kind of interesting because we thought of them as being a more balanced team going into the year. And maybe the offense might have question marks uh, if if Rodgers does it, you know, because Rodgers had not the narrative around Rodgers was that he had not played like Rodgers. In a little while. And and the question was whether or not he was still the same guy that we think of when we think of as Aaron Rodgers. Well, he's playing like Aaron Rodgers again. <laughs> I think he has the number one quarterback rating uh in, in football so far this year, but it's really the question of whether their defense uh can kind of keep up with that, and in that sense, it's kind of a weird return a form of the Packers as we conceptualized them during maybe the early 2010s like think about the team that went 15 and 1 and had the amazing offense and just god-awful defense and ended up uh, getting upset by the New York Giants in the playoffs that that kind of era of the Packers where it's like a lot on Rodgers and a lot on the guys he's throwing to but um, the defense is just meh so-so and and just trying to kind of hold back the the dam from breaking and let Aaron Rodgers produce points.
1: I mean, and the Packers could have beaten the Vikings if they had. You know, they they came they came close to getting back in, and at the very end, I I was very convinced that they were going to beat the Vikings um, because they have Rodgers and because he can do kind of anything. And so, you know, maybe that won't always be the case, and they won't always they weren't really in the the Bucks game. They lost that by substantially more. But, you know, if they give themselves, if their defense can give them, give their offense a chance, that'll be the key. But if a running back can run wild, then there's that problem, too. So, yeah, that's uh, those are the top five teams in our model. They have changed, though, pretty quite a bit during the season. You know, the Seahawks have been up there and then not. The Bucks were up there and then not. Um, We don't really know we're not totally sold on the bills yet, even though they're looking better and better all the time. So it's not like these are, these are obviously not the only five teams. All right. Well, we can't end this week without making our picks in our NFL survivor pool.
2: Uh, We can, we can actually. We're out of time. Uh, We're out
1: of time. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, Jeff. Neil and I both had um, you know, nervous weeks, Neil's Steelers and and my Texans. Um, it looked like both of them could lose at certain points, but we each got a point. We don't need to talk more about Jeff's pick. Um, I, we know, I what want what to talk there.
2: more about it. I want to talk more about it. <laughs> what happened was I realized I had used all the teams that I wanted to use and I, I panicked. It's like a fantasy draft when the guy in front of you takes the person who uh, who you wanted and you end up taking like a kicker in the seventh round. I would never do that, but people do do that.
1: No, I do. I I um in re-listening to our show last week i could hear the moment that i realized that i had inadvertently screwed you over and it was great <laughs> i was very pleased with myself there um all right but so the point total now stands at sarah and neil with six points jeff with four points um oh but jeff at least the jets almost got a win so that was something <sighs> for this week
2: no.
0: oh ouch
1: Sorry. They, was they
2: have crying.
0: a.
1: You know what? I, I wish <laughs> the
2: NFL would have a lottery because I was like, I wasn't even sure if I wanted them to win that game. You know, right. like, I was like, oh, maybe the Patriots will get Trevor Lawrence. I started thinking halfway through that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I don't think that'll happen now.
1: Yeah. Well, the Jets have a bye week this week. Um, so no one can pick against them. So the pick order for the week is Sarah, Jeff, Neil. So my pick, I'd actually, I, I I feel like this pick could come back to haunt me, but I'm going to pick one of the teams we just spent quite a bit talking about. And that is the new Orleans saints. Um, They're playing the Niners. I have liked the Niners. The Niners are like, you know, have half of their team injured and have not looked very good. So I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to hope that the saints are the saints that we saw this last weekend and not the saints that we've seen at other points of the season. Who you got, Jeff?
2: I'm going to take the, Speaking of teams, we've been talking a lot about. I'm gonna take the the Packers. Oh, <laughs> I mean Jacksonville is bad.
1: Um, Neil, what are who are you gonna uh, take now? <laughs> uh,
0: now I'm in full blown panic, gonna panic gonna mode.
2: Take something terrible like me.
0: Full blown. Um, jeez, I am gonna take. This is this is fun. I'll take a team that we. This is stupid. No, I'm not gonna do that. Whoa! I want to know what it well, was. Yeah, who was it? You know, I'm. To- I, I, there. There are no great picks after the ones that you guys made. You took the good ones off the table, so I appreciate you. Uh, you well, guys doing what, wait, that.
2: Yeah, have you used the Ravens?
0: Well, so that's what that was the one that I was kind of. I'm down to. Uh, should I either take the Bucks on the heel of that just debacle, also on the road against a Carolina team that gave Kansas City trouble? Or do I take the Ravens also on the road at Foxborough, but against the Patriots who uh, are, I think, considerably less um, trouble to work with than the Panthers maybe, but maybe I'm, I'm wrong about that too. So uh, it's a tough toss up. I'm going to go with the model. This is stupid, but whatever. I'm going to take the, the, the Buccaneers in a, um, a, a bounce back game on the road at Carolina. I don't know. I don't feel great about it, but there aren't other good picks. I mean, what was I going to take Cleveland at home against Houston? The Lions over football team? Eh, I don't know about the Lions. I yeah, can't really take the
2: Lions,
1: can you? Wow. All right, Saints, Packers, Bucks. Well, this will be uh, this will be a good one. I'm uh, I'm excited to see how these turn
0: out. This was a mistake.
1: <laughs> I love that you're second guessing it immediately. All right, uh, we will take a quick break. We'll be back to talk about college football in just a moment. The college football playoff selection committee is set to meet for the first time in a couple of weeks. So we wanted to check in and see how the race for those top four playoff spots is shaping up. In short, not great for Clemson, who lost future New York Jets quarterback Trevor Lawrence to a COVID-19 diagnosis two weeks ago, and then lost an overtime game to Notre Dame this weekend. The AP rankings still have Clemson at number four, with Ohio State at number three, Notre Dame newly installed at number two, and Alabama at number one. On ESPN's Get Up, Heather Dinich argued that the committee could make this year even weirder with an all-ACC-SEC playoff. They're still in this thing, Greeny. Look, I think what we learned from Saturday is that the ACC has the potential for two top four teams. They have to avoid any upsets for the rest of the regular season. I think they can do that. Brian Kelly has stressed that repeatedly. But it's not just the ACC, it's the SEC, too, that has the potential. Look, the, a- the SEC can state a case if Florida, which took the lead in the SEC East, runs the table and knocks off Alabama in the SEC championship game, you can have two SEC teams in the debate with a college football playoff selection committee. So the field got more crowded. All right, Jeff, do you agree that the field is more competitive now? How should the playoff committee you know, interpret Clemson's loss to Notre Dame?
2: I think they're going to play again. I mean, this is the thing about this year which is unusual. Um with, you know, we have an ACC Championship game looming and I think Clemson will probably play Notre Dame again. They'll probably have Lawrence back and they'll probably win that game and then what do they do? In that case, I think you could see two ACC teams in the playoff. I mean, that that sort of makes the most sense. I think there's obviously you know, Alabama and Ohio State seem pretty good chances of of just running the table, and then there you go. I mean, I, the question would be: Does someone from the Pac twelve go undefeated? That that you know, um, kind of throws a, a wrench in things, um, or or Alabama losing in the SEC championship. Like Florida is an interesting team with one loss. If they were to beat Alabama. I could already see like an early sort of doomsday scenario of of Florida beating Alabama and SEC championship, Clemson beating Notre Dame, then who gets left out. I do feel that the powers that be are always dying to have Notre Dame involved. Um, So I, I think whatever sort of conspiracy theories lie there, there is some truth to that. I think, you know, Notre Dame's a big, big ticket draw. And I think they do want them in the playoff um, if it comes down to a tough decision.
1: Yeah, I think I think that that does feel right. Um, it would be really interesting if Alabama loses because the playoff committee has obviously shown that they are very willing to put a one loss Alabama team into the playoff, um, even if it's their the, the, it was their last game that has happened
0: quite a bit. Uh, we, we do have a little anecdotal evidence from a couple of years ago. Because when we were doing our own uh, probabilities for the playoff, uh, and Notre Dame, uh, I think they were undefeated or, uh, or you know one loss, they were right there in the conversation at the very end, and we had them at a like shockingly low probability because. The, the algorithm didn't know they were Notre Dame. And some of that is, yes, how do you deal with independence? How do you deal with um, conference champions and kind of uh, go against that? But I think we all knew in our gut that Notre Dame had a much higher chance of making it than the model was giving them. And one of the reasons why is, well, we know they're Notre Dame.
1: <laughs> and we made a change in our model to account for the fact that they are Notre Dame.
0: Which is Did amazing. we call it the Notre Dame adjustment? Yes, but <laughs> it was not. It was not hard coded in that, like if team name equals Notre Dame, boost their playoff chances. It, it really was about how to deal with independence uh, and how do you balance the value of a conference championship. But the reason why there has to be that adjustment is because Notre Dame has you know, so often kind of gotten the benefit of the doubt as though they were a major conference champion. This year, it doesn't matter. This year, you know, they, they're they playing an ACC schedule and maybe the team we need to talk about uh, benefiting or not benefiting from that is BYU uh, in the independent conversation.
1: Right, and I don't think anyone thinks that BYU would get the same benefit of the doubt as Notre Dame has as an independent.
0: I If mean, the year is 1984, they would. Sure, <laughs>
1: Wait, shout out to ty detmer is the year 1984 (laughs) i mean it
0: does feel a little dystopic not gonna lie yeah Um, okay i mean also
1: who
2: is byu playing i mean western kentucky texas state i mean i know they beat boise but boise was on their like third or fourth string quarterback at that point um so i I don't know what byu has the resume for it the irony of Notre Dame is that in past years when they were sitting on a loss, they by being independent, they were actively hurting their chances because they didn't get a chance at another signature win in a conference championship game. Now I feel like they can, they feel like they should be independent again because. Uh, they've they've done the hardest part of their schedule now so in a if they were independent and they won out they would be a lock um but now it's a little more complicated
1: but the thing about BYU too and this is where this is where i hate the playoff system so much so BYU was supposed to play uh Utah, Michigan State, Arizona State, Minnesota, Missouri and Stanford before the pandemic destroyed everyone's plans. And so now they're just, you know, they're, you know, they filled their schedule with whoever they could get.
0: Now they got North Alabama.
1: Right. Right. Which is obviously not great. So like, but so they're not going to get to prove themselves to that. They are really good um, on the, the biggest stage because they couldn't play those games. It's just, it's just, it's not fair. And we're never going to know. I, I don't know. Boo hoo. Join a conference. I mean, <laughs>
2: I, I don't know I, I never had patience for this narrative with Notre Dame and I, I don't have patience for this narrative but it with didn't BYU hurt Notre
1: Dame it never hurt no- Notre Dame and it does hurt BYU. It, it
2: did hurt no no it did hurt them in previous years I think it did hurt them in previous years because if they lost a game they never they didn't get a chance to 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 sort of do this backdoor into the playoff by winning the conference championship game which is the the best way for a team with losses to get into the playoff.
0: But it probably balanced out against um, the Notre Dame benefit of the doubt factor, and also, I mean, they they always play a tough schedule, yes. like in the season. True. You know, because they're able to schedule all of these. You know, they have the historic rivalries, in addition to just being able to kind of pick and choose like pretty good teams to play that boost their resume. So I don't think it's totally like, yeah. You, you make a great point, Sarah.
1: And also, I would also like to say though that the conference championship is not. Doesn't work that way for everyone. It works that way in the SEC, and it could, might work that way in the ACC this year. It works that way when the when the playoff committee wants it to. It didn't work that way for the Big Twelve when you know Baylor and TCU got screwed over. I guess they didn't have a championship game then, but
0: they didn't have one. Right. But then they added one in response to that, <laughs> and, and then they still, still got locked. Up.
1: Well, yeah, I
2: mean, the Big Twelve cannibalizing itself is just something that's here to stay every year um, whatever happens in that league
1: i mean uh sure that might just be that they're really good i mean you know I,
2: well the same thing happens in the pac 12 it's just you know it's just it has to do with i think just the competitive balance of the league
1: this will never be better until there are more teams that get into the playoff until they yes, expand yes we all agree with I that i know i by just the way, by i'm so mad
2: cincinnati <laughs> uh, among these teams cincinnati i think is the better team and cincinnati i think actually could make a pretty good case for the playoff a because i think they're they just happen to be a very good team and i think they can actually hang with any of these teams with that defense and and um you know desmond ritter and and, and a interesting offense that can also score points so if they beat ucf and run the table i don't know i i think that's a, a legitimate case i don't think byu has a case because they you know you can't hang your hat on your seven point win over utsa
1: <laughs> all right well so if Cincinnati were to run the table and then...
2: I want Cincinnati in.
1: Do you think they'd make it, though? I mean, do you uh, think... Probably, a- probably not.
2: <laughs> if they're undefeated, it would be tough. But we did see this similar thing mm-hmm. unfold with UCF, so and they didn't make it. So why would this year be different?
0: Right. I think they have a better... Uh, you're totally right that they have a better chance if they run the table than BYU. but Because BYU right now, if you look at these ESPN numbers... They have an 89% chance to win out, but only a 23% chance to make the playoffs. Cincinnati only has a 19% chance to win out, but they have a 10% chance to make the playoff. And you have to think that that 10% is almost all comprised of the, or totally comprised of those universes in which they win out. So that, you know, 19%. So conditional on them winning out, it seems like they have like a 50% chance So that might be overstating things a little bit. But I do think that they have the best chance. And also, it probably, I mean, it's a little tragic. I, I was one of the silver linings of this season happening in the chaotic, or just happening at all, but especially in the weird way that it has happened and looked like it might happen like without the Pac-12, without the Big Ten. Obviously, they will be playing, but weird, shortened schedules that the committee has to balance against teams that have played more games one of the silver linings was supposed to be that it would be easier for one of these group of five teams one of these teams outside the blue bloods of college uh, football to be able to actually get a foot in the door but I think sadly it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case this year and I have to think that in a four-team playoff if it doesn't happen this year it probably is never, ever going to happen. You'll never be able to get one of those teams in. I mean, maybe you'd never say never, and there's the, always the possibility for a weird, chaotic, like 2007-style season where it's just like, we don't know who the best teams are, and we'll give a shot to an undefeated Cincinnati or BYU. Maybe not BYU. Uh, but, you know, I, I do think that if, if, it's, if it's not going to happen this year, and this year was also the strongest argument ever to expand the playoff. Yeah. Given the fact that there are so many teams playing conference, I mean, every team is basically playing at least in the power conferences a conference-only schedule, and they're uh, they're playing different schedule lengths. We don't know who the best teams are. We don't know how the conferences compare to each other because there's no crossover. You would think this would be the best argument ever to have a eight-team playoff with automatic bids for the conference champs and so forth. And we talked about this and yet the committee still kind of stands in the way of that and doesn't want to go in that direction. And I don't know, I don't know what it's going to take to get them to expand. Maybe they will eventually just because the forces of, you know, progress will, will tug at them, but gosh, this would have been a great year to, to test it out.
1: I mean, they're, they'll do it when they realize when it makes them money. money. Exactly. I mean, that's that. And that's, I guess that's the one thing that that I have hope for here, because it would obviously make them more money, like another more games, more of the best teams. They can hype that up. And I mean, it would it would be a moneymaker. It's like they're. It's like they're. They. were They remind the committee reminds me of like my parents when I was a kid who would just like say no to something and I didn't understand why and it was like <laughs> why are they being so unfair to me and I like never figured you it out. You guys are so
0: mean. Exactly. <laughs> You're ruining my life. Slam the door. Slammed the door. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> why are they being such mean parents?
0: Plays Pearl Jam really loud.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, you know me so well. Um, no. <laughs>
0: It was it's always been this like they don't want to add a week
2: because of the academic calendar or something. But even though there is a blank week already, I mean, in a normal year where Army and Navy are the only ones playing, I, it's it doesn't really make sense.
1: Yeah, I just it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, I guess maybe we need to ask somebody needs to ask them specifically like, Hey, mom and dad, what is your problem? Why are you keeping us from more college football fun here? And then we'll, we'll get to the bottom of it. And I'm sure even then they'll probably figure out a way to keep the group of five out. But um, until then, maybe Cincinnati can break through this year if BYU can't. Okay. I think we can pin, put a pin in this discussion for now. We'll be back in a moment for a rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of those descents the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Neil, take it away.
0: Yeah. So there was a really interesting Twitter thread started on Monday by our friend Chase Stewart, aka at FBG Chase. You should uh, follow him on Twitter, but I thought I'd talk about it on this week's rabbit hole, kind of expand it to talk about it with you guys. So Chase noted that the current all-time leader in passer rating is Aaron Rodgers, Sarah's favorite QB, Uh whom we just talked about. Uh, He has a 103.1 career rating. That's really high. Uh, It's a little bit ahead of Russell Wilson, who checks in at 102.3, though Rodgers has held this all-time record at the end of every single season going back to 2010. This is according to research by uh, Mike Cania of profootballreference.com. So you might think that this is kind of a neck-and-neck battle going forward to see whether Rodgers can hold on to the title or if Wilson can surpass him. Particularly since this season, Rodgers and Wilson are also number one and number two in the 2020 rankings. Rodgers has a 117.5 passer rating and Wilson has a 117.1. But Chase correctly pointed out that Rodgers' reign is actually really close to ending. It's kind of inevitable and it's not going to be at the hands of Russell Wilson. Uh, In order to qualify for the all-time leaderboards at Pro Football Reference, you need to throw 1,500 career passing attempts. And right now, there are a couple guys who are on the verge of crossing that threshold who will jump to the top of the list immediately, as soon as they do. Deshaun Watson of the Texans is 25 pass attempts away from it, which is a number that he has surpassed every game this season. So very likely, he will leapfrog Wilson into second all-time when he plays the Browns in you know, next week's game, because he has a 102.4 career rating. And of course, Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs is only 72 attempts away from breaking that 1500 barrier. That'll probably take him two games, probably exactly two games, because he's averaging 36.6 attempts per game this year. But when it does happen, he will easily be the all-time career leader in passer rating. He has a 110.5 career mark. The gap between Mahomes and Rodgers will actually be roughly the same as the gap between Rodgers at number two and Phillip Rivers at number 12 uh, once uh, both Watson and Mahomes cross the 1500 uh, barrier. So Rodgers' reign will end, and uh, if it holds through the end of the season, which is also very likely given the cushion that he has over Rodgers, Mahomes will become just the 10th different all-time passer rating king if we go back to the 1945 season. The first was Slingin' Sammy Baugh, he lasted three years, then Sid Luckman, who also lasted three years. Then came the ridiculous reign of Otto Graham uh, of the Cleveland Browns, who held the title for 28 seasons between 1951 and 1982. It was interrupted only by a four-year lead for Lynn Dawson, also of the Chiefs, from 1966 to 69. Uh, If Mahomes leads the passer rating chart for the same span of years that Otto Graham did, he would end up relinquishing his title in the year 2051. (laughs) (laughs) Wrap your head around that. Uh, But of course, you know, we don't expect uh, him to last that long because the lengths of time that the guys have led have gotten shorter since then. Graham was helped out by this, uh, you know the reason. One of the reasons why he uh, held the title for so long was because league-wide passing basically stagnated through the the late fifties, the sixties, and most of the seventies. But more recent passers have been swept upward by the overall progress of passer ratings. Uh, and just as a as a um, illustration of this in 1977, the league average rating was 61.2, which I think is actually lower than it was uh, during the majority of Otto Graham's career. By 1994, which is when Steve Young took the lead, it was 78.4. So it had increased over 17 points. And then by 2010, when Rodgers took the number one spot, it was 84.1. And then this year's average is 95.1, which is easily the highest average passer rating there's ever been in any single season in the history of the NFL. So Chase's big question, which I want to put to you guys, is how long do you think Mahomes will last at number one uh, once he becomes number one in like two games? You know, quarterbacks tend to peak value-wise at age 29, historically. Maybe Breeze and Brady are kind of breaking that, and then we have to reassess that. Mahomes right now is 25 so if he ages like a normal quarterback, he'll have you know five more seasons to kind of add to this and and continue to, to improve uh, uh, before declining. And again, maybe Breeze and Brady are the aberrations. Maybe they're the new rule. We don't know. Maybe Mahomes can continue to kind of rise. Uh, we also have to take into account how much of an advantage future passers will have in terms of the ever escalating passer rating numbers or... Are we close to hitting diminishing returns for passing efficiency? I know Josh Hermsmeyer, our colleague, uh, he has said that teams still don't pass enough and that they could stand to to maybe pass even more and still maintain their level of efficiency. So maybe we haven't seen uh, the, the, the point of diminishing returns, and that would help Mahomes over the rest of his career. Of course, it would also help subsequent passers maybe even more. And we also have to remember that Patrick Mahomes was a freshman in high school (laughs) when Aaron Rodgers took the all-time passer rating lead in 2010. So there could be some kid in high school right now just starting out uh, who has the potential to usurp Patrick Mahomes uh, someday down the line. Chase's over-under for when that might happen was around 2035, maybe more toward 2040. And I think that's reasonable, uh, particularly given Mahomes' lead over the field right now. Montana and Young—they only held it for ten to fifteen years apiece. Even if we out, uh, you know, throw out those, uh, you know, weird years where Marino uh, or Warner led for a couple of years. Uh, so fifteen years would set the end of Mahomes' run at the top of the passer rating leaderboard for this twenty thirty-five season. So what do you guys think? Do you think it uh, should be over or under? I—I uh, I would say I would lean very slightly over that, but not much more over that. I'll say twenty thirty-six. That'll be my pick. What do you guys think?
2: I would probably say under, I, I just don't think, I mean, I think the way they're all, as I was saying earlier, the way their offense is right now, you know, Reed, Hill, Kelsey, his numbers are going to be, you know, astronomical for a while, but things change personnel changes in a, in a salary cap sport. So it won't last forever, obviously. And I, I don't think it's sustainable forever. And I do think, you know, the genie's kind of out of the bottle with passing and, I don't think teams are gonna I think Josh is right. I don't think teams are gonna go back to more run based football anytime soon. And we're seeing the younger quarterbacks break in earlier and pile up numbers earlier. Kyler Murray, Tua's already out there, looks good. Um Lawrence, whoever else, Herbert Herbert looks great. So yeah, I,
0: I think Joe it's, Burrow. <laughs>
2: Yeah, Joe Burrow, I guess. Even though he he's like twenty eight years old already, oh, so <laughs> I think
0: he's actually uh, he's the same age as uh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> he he's,
2: he's up there. Joe Burrow's got to start thinking about retirement.
1: I, I like that Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings are standing in the breach against this passing revolution. They're determined to run more. Um, I think his the weapons that Patrick Mahomes had when he entered the league, and this is something we wrote about at the time. He he entered in the league in the best situation possible. Neil, you wrote that story. I think that really helped him in his first couple of years. I also though think that he is still getting better, which is like sort of impossible to like wrap my head around. But I think so. I I'm not sure the weapons will be as important later on once he is really like the most like finely tuned version of himself, like the best he can be. So I think I would take the over. I think I would take, I think I would take like 2040 or maybe even 2045. Cause I think there will, we will hit a point where teams can't pass anymore. Like when teams are passing, basically all the time and they're only every play yeah they're every like play. they're using play action <laughs> they're actually like faking the pass and then running like that's Ooh. how i, kind of this I up, like
0: right? that <laughs> the draw play is the new play action.
1: exactly there's actually i just read a story about that um so i i do think there's a point at which it can't go higher we obviously haven't hit that yet but there will be someday and i'm Think that Mahomes will be a part of that. I don't think we're gonna. I think we'll hit that before he's done playing.
0: Yeah, and and to the point about the weapons. I mean, we could say the same thing about Rogers, right? Like, you know, he went through. We just talked about it. A period like he was amazing early in his career, and then he went through a period where he was quote unquote only putting up ninety five passer ratings instead of like one twenty two or whatever. Um, But he still held the lead the entire time, which I think speaks to. If, if you're this good early in your career – even if if it's the right system, if it's the right weapons, if it's the right everything for you, you can kind of pad your lead and, and put in some, some historic seasons early that then can carry you through. And then, you know, we know about the way the NFL is. It's kind of cyclical in terms of the way you build rosters. And you will, if you if you hang on to your franchise quarterback, you'll still have, and you pay him what he's worth, which Mahomes is being paid uh, that way now and, and for the foreseeable future, you'll have these ebbs and flows of talent base around a guy that will probably limit your ability to have the eye-popping numbers for a while, but then maybe you'll kind of make your way back. Or maybe I'm just projecting Rogers' career arc onto Mahomes, but it's not a bad projection. I think Rogers and Mahomes might be the two most talented quarterbacks to ever live.
2: Yeah, but I think that's a great point about Rogers because, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that you know, Mike McCarthy for all those years was working against Aaron Rodgers. I think that team should have won. I I know they won a Super Bowl, but I I think that team should have probably won a couple.
1: As a Vikings fan, Mike McCarthy remains my favorite Packer for exactly that reason.
2: He's done a great job with Dallas,
1: though. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, we'll have to save that for another podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, that will do it for the rabbit hole and for this week's show. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast538.com at to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room and our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin for Neil and Jeff. I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.